You're listening to the World Football Program with all the latest updates from both local and international football. football program another Saturday morning until 12 o'clock in the studio you have Penn and Pete until 12 good morning Pete morning Penn how you doing I'm doing pretty good actually and I'm looking forward to two hours of football banter thanks everyone for tuning in you're on 107.9 FM and big thank you to Futsal WA Gate and Fence Hardware and Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron long time sponsors of the program partners of the program uh, Greg at Futsal WA is always got lots on the go with football plus 11-a-side football as well as 5-a-side football. So busy, busy, busy lad and lots happening in the manufacture and hardware industries for Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron and Gate and Fence Hardware to be doing their thing pre-COVID, during COVID, etc. All the house renovations and buildings and everything that's happening and keeping on happening in that industry. Thanks to everyone that supports and lobs in their membership and rings a station and donates, helps keep us on air and keep us talking football for over 30-something years. We're loving it. Thanks. Australian record, I'm it told. Is. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I challenge anyone to find another program out there that's been going that long in Australia. Awesome. Yes, absolutely. Great lineup of guests on the show today, including the president of School Sport WA, Peter Rickers, Bob Fig. You will have heard Bob... At some stage, if you've been a long-time football fan, either down at Perth Glory commentating matches or somewhere in the local football environment, Teo Pelizzeri, who's a match commentator for Paramount+. Plus. Teo has been on the program many, many years ago when he was a commentator in the Victorian... Uh, I'm not sure it was NPL back then, but he's been a long-time follower of women's football. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure Anna Dong who was uh, started a media journey here and Teo teamed up somewhere along the way over in Melbourne football and now Teo's working for Paramount Plus, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, I think he's got a great match commentary voice. 
And Soccer CEO Stace Ioannidis will be having a chat about some of the issues that have affected football in the overall environment over the last year or so. And one of the things that he's keen to have a chat about is how the rising costs of the economic climate are going to affect football, mm-hmm. maybe not now, but in the future. And we know supply chains and resources are all over the shop in some industries at the moment because of COVID and we might be managing in certain ways, but then there's the rest of the world that manage in different ways and how does that affect things? Yep, especially mm. with the tendency of football in, in Australia to be perhaps more expensive than it is overseas. Yes. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I th- no, maybe it'd be really interesting to attend a, a forum where there's different sports sitting at the table, saying what the registration costs are, what the registration numbers are, what they put their money into and how their structure's set up and just, yeah, just uh, allow everyone to kind of absorb that and go, oh, yeah, so that's how it all works. I wouldn't have a clue in terms of, say, netball or basketball or what their complete structures are. I must admit I'm a bit biased towards football. I really don't take much... And we would expect nothing less. I am too. Yeah. Yeah, I like the fact that you were up in the grandstand with the selfie there on um, the, the Glory game midweek, and I thought that was that was a bit lonely of you, but it was pretty awesome that you were like right up in the heights and you get to choose any seat up there. That was, yeah, yeah. No one came check my ticket or anything. It was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, go Glory! What a game! Oh, it was fantastic. Finish off the season. Yeah. Very happy that they've, um, yeah, really kicked in and done the biz in their last game over the tabletoppers. Yeah, and, and as I mentioned off air, uh, Melbourne City were a disgrace with their dirty play as well. There was shirt pulling and and headlock at one point and you just, honestly, I was like, yeah, I'm, I wasn't a fan of Melbourne City to begin with, but right now I'm hoping they lose. They don't win the league. I'm hoping Western United don't win the league because I <clears throat> think that's a ridiculous name for a team. So I sort of wind up going for the glory seconds in Melbourne victory. Uh, to take the title this weekend. While you have a quick banter to our listeners about absolutely anything that you want, I'm going to get Dave Kindness on absolutely. the line. Yeah, a- absolutely anything that you want to take. <laughs> you know, go with what's been your highlight of the week. My hi- Well, the highlight of the week would have had to have been, obviously, the glory win. Um, still, obviously, on the back foot for a fair amount of the game, and we were uh, living dangerously for a while. But, you know, happy happy to see the team finish with a win and on a positive note. Um, obviously now the work begins off field. There's some talk of the Keogh family investing in the club, uh, whether they become a sort of co-owner, exactly what the arrangement is there. There has been a couple of new signings announced for the glory already, uh, which you'd think I would have done my homework and had that prepared, but I can't remember. But I think it was a couple of the young Sydney FC players uh, have been signed. And kind of disappointingly, although... Uh, good luck to him. Uh, Josh Rawlins, one of my favourites at the Glory this season, he has signed to FC Utrecht in the Netherlands and will be heading over there. So he's uh, come out with an announcement saying, you know, playing A-League football at a young age has really helped my development and helped me mature as a player. I'm really thankful for the cl- to the club for giving me that opportunity. I'd like to also thank all the members and fans for their support. And he has been absolutely one of the highlights of the Glory season. I feel bad because... For some reason, I keep thinking Dane Ingham, who was with the Glory last season and then went over to, I think it was Newcastle, and I always get those two names confused. Like, I know who I'm thinking of, but I had to actually look up. No, it was Josh Rawlins, so I don't know why I get those names mixed up, but so be it. Yep. Anyway, Penn. And uh, Matt Stacey, your legend. 
great photo of oh, Yes, I saw that photo, yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's such a character. <laughs> um, yeah, um, in his regalia as normally he is. And uh, we'll call him the number one Perth Glory fan. I'm not sure if he's ever missed a Glory match. Um, pretty hard to keep him down. But uh, yep. it was, that was probably one of the few photographs I've seen of the Perth Glory match this week where there was lots of people around. All the others were big spaces. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's perhaps, shall we say, selective photography, um, as in pointing the cameras at the areas where the crowds were. (laughs) Uh, As mentioned, I was in the grandstand right up the top, all by my lonesome, sitting with all my friends. Um, And, yeah, there's a lot of empty... I was actually surprised when they said it was 3,000 because it did actually seem like there was a lot more people downstairs. I was sort of guessing maybe about 5,000. I noticed one of the matches had about 1,000. There might have been Brisbane Roar in the last couple of weeks. There has, yeah. They, so all the teams have, obviously, crowds have dwindled. Um, and we're hoping, well, I'm personally hoping for a bit of a bounce back next season. Um, hopefully the, that'll be the first season in like three years where we don't have COVID restrictions, where there aren't caps on crowd numbers, where teams aren't locked out of their home state for two months. Um you know, that sort of thing. Well, uh, but Fingers crossed we've moved on from all of those things and we're into management and yeah, normal exactly. stage. Well, certainly from my personal perspective, I can say that although myself and my immediate family, has, no one has caught COVID yet, which is remarkable seeing as my wife works in the emergency department. Um, it's amazing. I know a lot of people, you know, sort of in my circle who have had it already. So I'm just sort of waiting for, you know, one of the four of us to, to come down with it. Um, but, yeah, sorry, go before we get Pete on the line, just a, a couple of things. Um, there's a lot happening in the football space, which is great. I love saying that. Always yeah. plenty to talk about. Um, Miranda Templeman did break her thumb and had to undergo and, surgery. And that's why she's not in the squad for yes. the under-20 yes. Women's World Cup, which has had its draw and is in uh, Costa Rica and Australia will be, if I can find the thing, Australia is playing against Costa Rica. So we're playing the host nation. Then we're playing Spain. Then we're playing Brazil. So, I mean, you couldn't ask for much, (laughs) to be honest, you couldn't ask for a much tougher group. Uh, If only I could find the page, which I had prepared, and now I can't find it anymore. The Football Australia Matildas, uh, Combank Matildas page, I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. If you just type in Matildas, you'll get directed there. um, We'll have all the links and information to... To direct you to places, but um, so, uh, uh, well, assuming it's it's going to be on one of the streaming services or one of the you know one of the TV stations. But yeah, so it's tenth of August. We're playing Costa Rica at San Jose, which everyone knows is the capital city of Costa Rica. Uh, the thirteenth of August, we're playing Brazil uh, in a city that's not Costa, uh, not San Jose, and I can't say that Spanish name, so I'll let it go. And then on the sixteenth, we're playing Spain. Um. Uh, Channel 10 is probably the, the place to, I, I'm to imagining it'll be either Channel 10 or Paramount. Um, loving the FA message that's been put out at the moment. I'm talking Soccer Australia, Football Australia. Yep. Um, the managing screen, uh, screen time for parents and kids. Mm-hmm. Loving that. I'd like that to be pushed and pushed and pushed. Get out there in the fresh air and play some sport, kids. Yep. Um, and COVID's doing its thing with local fixtures, postponements all over the shop. So Did uh, see there before was you go out and travel anywhere, make sure you have a look at your fixture list and just check if there's any postponed fixtures. Uh, NPL.TV is a good one to log into if you wanted to uh, check out some of the games that are going ahead. 
Um, six PR is doing a good job. I, I thought of um, promoting the NPL. I did get okay. the NPL TV promo message when I uh, logged into Six PR yesterday, and they have been talking about NPL fixtures, which is great. Okay, the more the merrier. That's honestly surprising. It's been a while since I've listened to Six PR, but they tend to focus on. I always felt football. Yeah, absolutely, without question. Uh, but it's uh, sorry, as in Australian football. I, yeah. I understand yeah, yeah. what you're saying. The other football. There. Yep. Uh, and there was a. Fo- I think it's called the football summit that happened during the week. FIFA landed this week to check out some of the Perth um, Women's World Cup venues, and I'm sure they're meandering around Australia, but kind of yep. under the radar. But and you didn't get any of them on for the show today. No. Absolutely not. Um, that's just because it, it kind of snuck under the radar. Okay. Yeah, yep. And there was a football summit in inverted commas at Dorian Gardens and talking about the, the one football strategy stakeholders from Football Australia were in attendance with local members of the community. Um, yeah, that was, I, th- I think it was probably uh, managed or organised in a little bit uh, more of a hurry than maybe what some stakeholders could get to, but yeah. Football West are totally under the pump at the moment with refixturing and COVID management. It's just absolutely crazy and insane for them. But the fact that that happened was good. Uh, apparently there was about 40 people there at Dorian Garden, so that was good. They talked about the State Football Centre and the, and the visit and the football strategy. Mm-hmm. And Sam Kerr, of course, of course well, I'd say sometimes yeah. I'd just say of course, because Sam yeah. Kerr, an award, is an of course kind of statement. You know, as she moves forward and progresses in her football career, there are more awards stacking up in that young person's portfolio. So snapped with Mo Salah from yes. Liverpool. Yeah. Well, How the, the top, top footballer um, of the respective men and women's league. So, you know, you'd expect that. I, I think more machine. to the point, Mo Salah was happy he got a photo with Sam Kerr. <laughs> I want to see that goal-scoring record come to the Matildas. And what do we need to do? It's not something I want anyone to answer, but what do we need to do to capture that goal-scoring, you know, Repetition for the Matildas. Speaking of Sam Kerr oh. and segueing to the fact that she plays for Chelsea, uh, Chelsea in the last hour have just come have put out a press announcement saying that they have uh, come to terms to be taken over by a new ownership group. So ah. obviously they were owned by a certain Russian chap. Yep. And Russia being very on the nose at the moment, uh, quite rightly. Uh, there's been you know things going on there. So apparently uh, Ted Baholi. Clearwater Capital, Mark Walter and, oh, there's a Dutch name there. Again, I'm not going to even try. Uh, have been agreed to uh, acquire the club. Uh, total investment, $2.5 billion will be applied uh, to purchase shares in the club and as such, the proceeds will be deposited into a frozen UK bank account with the intention to donate 100% to charitable causes as confirmed by Rob- Roman Abrahamovich. Wow. So the UK government approval will be required for the proceeds to be transferred from the frozen UK bank account. In addition, the proposed new owners will commit $1.75 billion, uh, sorry, pounds, um, in further investment to the benefit of the club. This includes investments in Stamford Bridge, the Academy, the women's team and Kings Meadow and continued funding for the Chelsea Foundation. So that's just, that's hot off the presses there. Wow, wow, wow. We are going to go to a break and come back and talk more football with Peter Rickers. This is Penn and Pete on the World Football Program. Thanks for listening in. And if you do miss any part of the show, you can go to the worldfootballprogram.com.au website. We can stream it there or podcast it. Listen to the podcast, all this digital stuff. It's amazing. We'll be back soon. (laughs) 
Gate and Fence Hardware WA, your one-stop shop for all gate and fence hardware, components, wrought iron, automation and electronic gate security. We can offer great advice and solutions for your project. Trade and layman, welcome. Hardware shipped all over Australia. Contact the team on 9258 6822 or shop online at gateandfencehardware.com.au Station sponsor. Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron is a fourth generation family business. Bring us about your custom gate and fence projects. We can manufacture, install or automate your gates, offer electronic security or simply just provide sound advice. Let our family look after your family. Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron. Call us on 9258-6822. Station sponsor. Welcome back to the World Football Program. Penn and Pete in the studio. You're on 107.9 FM Radio Fremantle. Community football that pretty much gets everywhere with digital technology these days. Good morning, Peter Rickers. How are you? Uh, good morning, Penn. I'm particularly well. How are you yourself? Pretty super awesome. You're having a chat with Penn and Pete on the World Football Program. And school sport, how's that been affected by COVID in the last couple of years? And, and what's moving into new spaces post... Well, relinquishment of some of the measures yes look it's um things are slowly getting back to normal we um we've we've been affected but not particularly affected uh, as much as community football i don't think uh we had the the disappointment uh, year before last where there were no sporting events uh, of any kind for second term of school um but when those conditions were lifted we were able to push back a number of our programs through into term three and term four and then just carry on as normal with our, our domestic competition. I think um, the biggest impact, of course, has been on the uh, the national championships at, uh, at underage level. Uh, we Last year and the year before, they've been cancelled. Um, the first six months of this year have been pushed back into the second six months of the year. Uh, we've just been hoping that the department, uh, with their health advice, the education department, that is, uh, lift those bans on uh, interstate travel for school students. And, and we're just very hopeful that in the next week or two that that ban will be lifted and that we'll be able to uh, resume our national championships uh, this year after a hiatus of two years. How how does the intersport relations go with club sport? The effect of COVID and management thereof has meant postponed fixtures, delays in, in start to season, refixing to different places... How does that affect, well, how does COVID management affect school sports? Is it different? It, it's, it is slightly different. Um, there, there was a ban originally on, on basically schools meeting with schools to prevent kids from interacting with each other, mm. um, even across year groups uh, within schools. Uh, we're getting, as we said, we're getting back to normal now. Uh, didn't affect us too much last year with our inter-school competition, although there were... To be quite fair, fewer teams, fewer schools that nominated in the inter-school competition last year and the year before, just simply because some principals were just being extra cautious. Mm-hmm. Um, schools could nominate, uh, but the number chose not to, which is, is fair enough. It's a decision for them to make. Um, but um, it hasn't really affected us too much. Um, 
we're probably seeing more students absent with COVID now than we have at any time in the future. So, you know, making sure, like with all, all clubs, making sure that uh, you've got sufficient players to fulfil your fixtures on any given day, I think that's the biggest challenge at the moment. Yeah, the Australian Masters competition was held in Perth over the last few weeks, but it was in a bit of a modified format. Well, not modified, but it changed. Post, it was postponed a couple of times from last year, um, two different dates, and then some of the levels of competition were removed. The women's soccer was one of the men's soccer, men's football went ahead. Um, you know, there's a lot of things out there getting managed differently. Um, I mean, Perth's going through a, a huge wave of... Um, People being affected by COVID at the moment, but life's going on, yep. and um, you know, club football is definitely being affected in terms of postponed fixtures. We're looking at NPLs, a couple of games every week now in the men's and women's competition, and so forth. Which is meaning that all those promises, Pete, from the politicians to build the infrastructure are really necessary because we're looking at probably overusing ground at some point in the season, needing the lights for training spaces and maybe match times as well. Well, certainly. Look, uh, with everybody, I think it's just about being flexible, mm. um, trying to make things work as uh, as best you can. I mean, we're, we're seeing the enormous impact in professional sport and semi-professional sport. Um, you really do have to think on your feet uh, in order to get the season completed uh, as best you can. But look, I think, Penn, there's, there's lots of positives as well. I mean, uh, on Friday, we had the... Uh, the under-12 championships for primary schools, uh, for girls, a girls-only event that was conducted down at Beale Park on Friday. Fantastic event. Uh, lots and lots of girls. Just wonderful to see the growth in girls' football. Uh, and our, our uh, mutual friend, Tony Carvajal, um, running that event, uh, as he has done for nearly 20 years, um, it's, it's just fantastic to, to be able to get there and see all these young girls who are in year five and six uh, running around and having that opportunity to perform. Mm. Yeah, how's that growth gone over the past, I don't know, two, three, four, five years? It's gone particularly well. Um, as I said, with, with the lack of a, a national championship, what we've been able to do is to conduct some regional events. Um, the regionals uh, have been very, very happy to have us there, um, both at the, the secondary level with the under-18 girls, the under-16 boys, and then likewise the under-12s for the boys and the girls. Um, we've taken the opportunity to tour down to Albany, Bunbury, Bustleton, uh, and the boys also went up to Geraldton last year. So whereas the country areas are often having to come to the metro in order to perform and, and, and find opposition, uh, we went to them. Mm. And I think they were particularly thankful that, uh, that we did that because it doesn't happen very often. Um, and it was just a way for us to provide an opportunity for our more able kids to perform, given that we couldn't go into state. Yeah. Yeah. What about the international tours that have been on the cards when kids get identified from state level and then national level from the championships and how other countries are managing things? Well, it's very difficult for me to comment on that, Penn. I mean, we, it, it, it's all been, all been in abeyance. Um, you know, there's not been really anything happening in that regard. And until we've gone through the, 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 the circumstances this year of taking kids into state, and managing the the COVID protocols that come with that, uh, particularly in terms of how do, how do we travel? I mean, normally, as you would know, we, you'd all travel together on a plane. You'd all be accommodated in in accommodation where you probably had four pl- four players in a room, you know, or, or two rooms where you had twin share. You you have the opportunity to cook in those areas. 
Um, myself at School Sport, uh, we're now looking at the resumption of those competitions. Some of our um, community-based organisations have already been. I know that the netball have already been interstate just this last few weeks. So we're taking a lot of advice from other, other sports that have been um, trying to look after not only the players but the coaching staff. I mean, the logistics of uh, being involved with a, a team that might have a coach or two that goes down with COVID mid-competition when those coaches are also teachers um, and, and looking after children, uh, quite obviously we need to have a backup plan, um, a flying squad perhaps, you know, all of those things that um, logistically could occur when you're away with 16 players uh, and have to manage uh, if, if there's a number of uh, either staff or students come down with COVID. I was so listen- I think there's a, there's a big challenge for us at the moment. I was listening to the AFL talk about, and it was West Coast specifically, where they're talking about how they were going to be affected by the round this week with the number of players out with injuries and COVID and um, some people were you know, stomping up and down saying they should postpone the fixture. And I don't know if you can actually postpone an AFL fixture. I have no idea. But um, I know that in the A-League, we've postponed lots of fixtures. It's been yeah. like a fixturing nightmare um, the last... 12 months. And with with football tends to be a little bit more open to that because you do get things like cup matches and and Champions League matches. So that, I think there is flexibility built in an A-League level that some matches do need to get postponed for reasons. I think for AFL, with this, the teams just playing that one competition, I think it's a bit of a head shock, the whole idea of Different. postponing yeah. something. So, so my, my point there was that the West Coast management team were talking about what they do to try and protect their players from COVID that, that they you know, would have social distancing. They'd Apparently have different... they go nightclubbing in, in Leaderville. <laughs> yeah. Mm, well, yeah. Um, and the, the cleaning of the facilities and all that. So they've, you know, done quite strict regimens, yet still they are so affected mm. by COVID. And then they have their next tier of football, which is in the local waffle. Yep. So... Uh, and the structure is really different to us, Pete, in football, our code of football, that we have um, the A-League, we have the NPL, we have academies, talking to the professional football, and well, mm. but uh, lots of football, really. And then clubs have their own account. So you can draw players up and up and up to fill positions. So um, we couldn't ever say Perth Glory could never field a team because yeah. we could draw upwards, but AFL... Once they go outside of their their team and their waffle, what what then? Where, where do they draw from? Like it's just, just interesting comparing what they do and how they manage COVID and how we manage COVID. Just that was just my comment on how things are going. And um, you know, we don't get a lot of airtime on commercial media uh, soccer mm. fans and just the fact that they were talking so much about that this week in April <laughs> was a bit frustrating. Anyway, I'm moving on. Well, look, Ben, you can, the thing is you can't legislate against stupidity, can you? <laughs> and you, you, can, you, you can have all of these great ideas. Uh, and for us in schools, you, you're looking at young people who... And young people very naturally mix more than older people do. They, they mm-hmm. mix in a classroom, they mix in a yard, they, they've Socialize. got their, their friendship groups yep. uh, out of school you know, evenings and, uh, and weekends. Yep. So it's a, it's a complicated, very complicated issue. Mm. Uh, just trying to keep people fit and well. Um, and you, you can't solve all of the problems. So that's what, as I mentioned before, you've just got to be flexible. You've just got to have a backup plan, uh, a what if, yep. and, uh, and and try and work through it as best you can. I mean, we, we, had, a, um, we had an inter-regional competition 
for the uh, selection of the state schoolboys on Thursday. And there, well, there were five teams at that event uh, for each of the five educational regions. And each of the five teams were missing one or two players that had been selected earlier uh, but couldn't participate because they're isolating due to COVID. So you, you've just got to make do. Yep, and I like the fact that you said that one of the good things out of COVID has meant that we're able to travel in our own football community and increase the promotion and motivation to play football in regional areas, Kalgoorlie, Geraldton, whatever. That's It's been fantastic. Well, that's the same thing with tourism, isn't it? We've yeah. we have travelled so much more in Western Australia. It's, it's helped with the local tourism industry. Yeah. Yeah, look, it's... It's, it, it's been, as, as president of School Sport WA, I, I'm often asked the question, how do we cater for kids in regional areas? And it is a, a bigger, more challenging question uh, in Western Australia than it is in virtually every other place. Yeah. Um, we, we, we don't, I don't believe that we do it particularly well. And not just in football, I, I'm, I'm talking about sport across the board. Um, with School Sport WA, we have two major events in a year. Um, the the senior high schools country week and the district high schools country week for those schools that only go up to year 10 um, where all of those kids come to the come to the metropolitan area for a week of competition now the senior high schools country week's been going for well over 90 years that competition's been in place Mm. Um, but it's not very often that, that metropolitan kids go to country areas um, and if a child is trying to seek selection in a representative side, it is an enormous commitment, an enormous commitment and a very difficult thing to do. Mm. And uh, we, we've just got to start to think outside the box in football about how we can cater better for our, our more um, isolated areas within the state. And it's a, that's a big challenge, big challenge. Yeah, resources, money, you know, just human time. Yeah. A lot of things. Yeah, the tyr- tyranny of distance in Western Australia is huge. Yeah, yeah. now it's Absolutely. not too bad if if your child's a, a talented child lives in, in in Bunbury or Busselton, perhaps even Albany. But when we go the other way, uh, and we're talking about regional centres, which are really quite small yeah. in nature as well, uh, it, it, it is difficult. Yeah. It's, it's a very difficult thing. Less infrastructure, you know, roads and yes. spaces to be able to get there, and so yeah, look, well. less yeah, less players, less coaches, less knowledge, less teams, less opportunity. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, Pete, before we let you go, what about the relationship between all the football stakeholders uh, in terms of how you, you're getting on? And I know with uh, measures easing, basically, you know, state teams are starting to ramp up their, their trials yes. and identification, all that kind of stuff across cl- club land, state land, school sports land. How are all the stakeholders getting on with each other these days? Yeah, look, it's it's getting better by the by the week. Uh, funny enough, I uh, I met with uh, Gareth Nathan yesterday. Um, Gareth and I had a bit of a chat about the NTC um, and uh, and the influences of schools football and the enormous um, workloads, I suppose, or commitments that, that a lot of the the more talented young girls have got. We're very much of the opinion that uh, adults need to sit down and work out what the solutions are. Uh, and the solutions generally centre around compromise and, uh, and, and as you've said, working together, sharing data, um, you know, sharing our expertise. And uh, I'm very hopeful that, uh, that things will continue to move in that direction. Obviously, we've got Jamie Harnwell, who's uh, moving up within Football West, and uh, Gareth taking on more responsibility, including that overseeing of the, the NTC program. Um, so it really is just a matter of, creating the time and sitting down for the benefit of young players 
so that as many people as possible get the opportunity to reach their potential, whatever that potential might be. Yeah. So that sounded like a very political answer. <laughs> Um, and oh, oh, look! It, it's, if I was going back, if I was going back in time, I couldn't. I couldn't really say that I've been uh, overly impressed with the way that we, we've tried to do things. And you know, in some ways, I've got to put my hand up and take responsibility as being part of that process. Um, but um, you know, we've we've got a number of schools, as you know, with specialist football programs where kids have got fair commitments. There, a number of those boys are heavily involved in the the uh, Perth Glory Academy programs, so they've got a lot going on. Likewise with the girls in the NTC. Um, we shouldn't get overly carried away, I don't think, with it, with what is the pointy end of our competition in that, you know, these are very able children and we want the best for them. But there's lots and lots of other kids that we need to be concerned about as well, uh, not just the more able. So I think that we need to put things in perspective and, uh, and make sure that we do work together, which I certainly intend to do. And... Um, you know, hopefully then we don't have burnout, we don't have injuries caused by uh, too much of the workload and uh, the kids can continue to enjoy their football across the board. Yeah, and that's the key, isn't it? I mean, I think we always end up with the conversation going to, well, we just need to manage it in the most respectful way where kids are provided with the opportunities and they enjoy their football and they can progress in whatever way that that means for them and the sport, I guess, and that we do manage it so that they don't get burnt out. I mean, there's clubs, club sport, state sport, um, NTC, Perth Glory, schools, there's futsal, there's so many opportunities out there for kids now. And yes. the word no yes. has to come into the conversation somewhere so that the kids can have some downtime. And downtime is not yeah. sitting on a screen. Downtime is just like yakking with their friends, having a sleep, going for a little yep. walk, you know, just so that their mind has space to not have anything filled in it and their body is not being so active. And they always want to take the opportunities, of course, because, like you said, kids are more mobile. They get into into more things, into more spaces, but there's just so much for them out there, Pete. Well, there is, and we, we're seeing the growth of, of, of futsal at the present moment. Yes. Um, you know, normally, I mean, I say normally, when, when, you know, in earlier days, futsal was one of those things that you tended to do in the off-season. Um, you did it in the evenings in a, in a summertime when, mm. when the, the outdoor season had finished. Well, we're seeing now some students, some older players now who fut, futsal is their only thing. There are still those that play outside and there are still those that want to play inside as well. But if you look at the Brazils and the Argentinas of this world, players will decide relatively early if they're, if they're an inside player with futsal or if they're a, a, an outside player. Our players, our more able players, still tend to do both. So we, we've got the opportunity to, to play for your state in futsal uh, as well as the traditional outside 11v11. So as you said, the opportunities are all there. Um, it, it's difficult to commit to everything fully commit to everything. Um, so, yeah, sometimes I think people have to make a choice. Absolutely, we do. Mm. Pete, thanks so much for joining us today. appreciate your time. Um, I hope you can go back and enjoy your lovely meal. <laughs> yeah, I'll finish that anyway, so that was okay. I'm just having a, a nice, quiet coffee. Excellent. Good work. Enjoy the rest of your weekend and uh, stay safe. All right, thank you. Good on yeah, you, Pete. All the best to everyone. See ya. Okay, bye-bye. That was Peter Rickers, the president of School Sports WA and the director of the John Curtin Specialist Soccer Program, football program at um, the college there.
Yep. Uh, they also have other specialist programs there. I know some kids that do dance there as well. Yep, uh, arts, Fremont. performing arts. Mm. Yeah, we've had some pretty famous people come out we of that have indeed. program there worldwide. Yeah. Um, just on a slightly different topic, uh, the as as we saw from the Facebook page where Amanda was, uh, sorry, Miranda, why is it quite Amanda? Uh, was presenting the, um, the the goalkeeper's jersey, the the CP football cerebral palsy pararoos, yes, and the, the para, female paramatildas, is it? Yep. So the um, the the men's World Cup is underway now. Uh, Australia has played Iran, and we have an upcoming game against. The USA, which can be streamed um, from the My Football website, I've popped a link to it on our Facebook page. So that's eight thirty p.m. West, uh, Eastern Standard Time. So you can do the conversion in your head, but I think it's obviously either five thirty or six thirty our time tonight. Should be viewable if you wanted to watch that. And then the women's tournament is starting shortly. Yeah, great. Thanks for that. Um, when we talk to Teo. Palazzeri will certainly cover a few things that are happening in the in-between spaces yeah. for football, which always brings a little bit of uh, international flavour to our shores. Right. Well, actually, it hasn't come for a little while, has it? I mean, this is the first time in a few years because of COVID that we've Yeah, everything's had. been shut down. Yeah. So, And as we mentioned off air, we're exactly one month away from the Socceroos next World Cup qualifier against the UAE. Yep. Uh, and it, should that go well, then a week later we play Peru um, and then get to watch Peru go to the World Cup. Australia. This is Penn and Pete on the World Football Program. We'll be back very shortly talking more football. Stay with us. Cristiano Ronaldo, Wayne Rooney, Veron. Hi, I'm Peter Skeeler. Everyone seems to think I'm the ultimate wingman and full of helpful information. It's true, I am. My passion is trivia and Australian football statistics. Check out aleaguestats.com, my website, where you can follow all the stats and results from the men's and women's A-leagues from the beginning of time, or at least 2005 and 2008, respectively. You're listening in to the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle, and we appreciate you tuning in. West Coast Futsal Association was established to develop and promote the game of futsal. With a vibrant new look and re-imaging, we are now Futsal WA. With a dedication to capture the fast growth of the sport to all levels, Futsal WA is Futsal in Western Australia. Futsal WA provides boundless opportunities to play with grassroots and junior leagues, pathways to academies and elite club competitions and representative futsal that can help you follow a dream of professional futsal in Europe or Asia. With four venues across Perth, as an individual or as a group of mates who want to play, there's a junior, men's, women's or mixed competition that will suit you. Contact us to get involved in futsal, an action-packed sport and the fastest growing sport in Australia. Contact us at Futsal WA on 0432 745 140 via email at info at futsalwa.org.au or via our website www.futsalwa.org.au.
A true glory supporter, someone who gives a 100% on match day. Whether it's chanting, waving a flag. Always there, always passionate. Jumping up and down, going absolutely animal. And continuing to make an amazing atmosphere for football fans. I'll spend about eight to nine, maybe ten hours on glory uh, during the week when we're making our banners and this and that. Well, the feeling when glory score is just the most phenomenal feeling ever. Everything just stops. So there's a whole brief feeling of silence. Something everyone just jumps up and down. An eruption of cheering, yelling and flag waves. It's just one of those things when the goal hits the back of the net, it's an amazing, it's an amazing situation. And while we were talking about the glory, it is worth mentioning they still do have one more game this month coming up. Um, having finished uh, last place in the table, as we know, for the FFA Cup, we have 10 spaces allocated for the A-League sides, but there's 12 teams in the A-League. So there is a playoff match that does get held at the end um, of the A-League for next season's FFA Cup. Uh, finishing 12th on the ladder means the Glory will play whoever finished 9th, which will most likely be Newcastle Jets, but mathematically could still be Western Sydney or Sydney as well. So there is still one more chance to cheer on the boys. I don't know if that's going to be telecast on Paramount or Channel 10 because it's sort of a you know lower level thing. But, well, certainly the, the one that we had this season where we played against Melbourne victory over in Adelaide was telecast, so I would assume it is telecast and watch this space for the details. We're welcoming Bob Fig to the line right now. Good morning, Bob. You've got Penn and Pete in the studio with you. Great to talk to you, Penn and Pete, and yeah, I love the limelight. <laughs> Excellent. So we'll title you ABC Match Commentator All-Round Local Football Guru. Does that cover it? Yeah, well, certainly the all-round bit does. I don't know about anything else. <laughs> We've just been wrapping up the Perth Glory game and the nice end of the season that the fans were subjected to midweek. Well, um, I'm not talking about subjected to. We enjoyed it. Okay, yeah. fine. Yeah, it's been a bit of a crazy season. I'm, a lot of fans. Uh, are, yeah, hmm. yes, it, it certainly has. It's been nuts, hasn't it? And look, not everything is the club's fault. Indeed, a lot hmm. of it wasn't. Hmm. Um, and, you know, credit to that. But I, I just heard you talking about the... Um, Australia Cup now, I believe it's called, isn't it? Yeah. And, yep. um, you know, I don't like that too much. They've got to go. If they don't win that away game qualifier, then what is Glory's pre-season going to be, you mm. wonder? Because if you're not in the Australia Cup, and I know it's not all pre-season anymore, mm. um, but I would have thought all of the senior clubs should be in that competition. I'm, I'm a bit surprised they're basically making teams play off and <laughs> poor old Glory have to fly away again. Yeah. Absolutely. What do you reckon we've got to look forward to next year? What's on the cards for Glory to you know, think well, about? Well, the, the difficulty with making any predictions at the moment is nobody knows what is going on. Um, now, I understand you want a bit of theatre um, at your uh, awards night, and that's why I think when they're going to announce everything, um, whether it's for the coach and the investors and whatever else might be coming down the pipeline. 
until we get a clear picture, um, it's very hard to tell. Hopefully, investment. Um, they haven't got many chances left, have they? The Perth Glory. I, I, and they've had two, in my opinion, of the best administrators in Australian sport. Never mind mm. football, but in Australian sport. Um, including the current CEO, Tony Pinata. They had Peter Philopoulos before that. Yes. Yep. Um, you know, so, so they've got to get it right this time. Let, let's keep it simple. And they've got to actually come up with an identity uh, for the club and um, a theme that they stick to because we had four years of Kenny Lowe, let's play the kids, you know, invest in youth and get that combination right. Then Kenny went and it was we've got to have instant success. Average age of about 28, one of the oldest in the A-League under Tony Popovich. Yep. Got them to the brink, and you know, with the, the grand final appearance. Then it was back to kids again with Richard Garcia. Then they go and buy or, or bring in Daniel Sturridge and read him between the lines. I'm not sure Richard Garcia knew much about that before it actually happened. Mm-hmm. And there we are back again with, well, where's, where's, where's Reliance? And then, of course, the enforced reliance on the kids. Um, because so many players were, were injured or COVID-affected or, or just had, had enough, quite frankly. Bob, does that reflect... So, you know, good... they've got to make a decision and stick to it. Does that reflect good structure, that we've got depth no. that we can no. draw from? No, I don't think it does, to be honest, Penny. I, I, I think, you know, the 2-0 the win was magnificent. Uh, absolutely delighted for, the, for the, the young players. And look, there are three or four really, really good young players there, I reckon. Yep. Uh, allowing for the fact that we just lost one of those, I still think there's three or four really, really promising kids, and that's good. That's a good production line. But the structure, to me, and I think Tony Pinyon would probably agree. He sort of alluded to it recently. They have an academy because the ACL demands an academy. Now, I don't see the benefit of uh, all the best 12 and 13 year olds being attracted to Perth Gorey. They then all go and play and win. 5-0, 6-0, 7-0 every week. Mm. And it gets more competitive when they get into the upper echelons because they're playing up so many age groups. But I don't think it's good for the, the young players because don't forget, probably only 2% of them actually go through. So they're released. Um, do they go back to the other clubs? It's terrible for the relationship to the MPL clubs who feel their best players are getting taken away from them. It needs a rebuild. Now, how much of that the club can do and stay within the ACL um, requirements is, of course, the tricky part. But I think they've got to look at something and probably go back to, I mean, it sounds of the future glory that they ran, where they had kids coming from clubs for extra training sessions. Um, but they didn't, they weren't, all, they weren't Perth glory players. They stayed, you know, aligned and registered with the local clubs. And maybe they need to look at that up to, say, under 16, something like that. What about the current NPL system and the structure that some of the larger clubs have in place? Some of them are quite defensive and protective that they've got, got their own pathways in place. Oh, look, you know, my, my eldest, uh, Robbie, he played for um, a couple of very uh, good junior setups, Fremantle when it was still going, um, per soccer club. Um, and they have got magnificent setups. Bayswater have a, a strong junior. Uh, set up going and they need that because those kids will then hopefully become their players and also their fans and, and, and members for life so I think that's it's really important it's tough when you're, you're out on the the back end if you like of a national setup um, but I think we've had a strong local setup for a long time 
Um, I think we've got some very good people. You look at Perry Alardi, Jamie Harmwell, smart operators, know the game inside out at, at Football West. And I think that can go from strength to strength. And those sorts of alliances are what Perth Glory needs to thrive. They, they can't, you know, sit in a, an independent vacuum where they're not connected with the rest of the game in the state. They need, they need that support network. Do you think the NPL system across Australia is strong and do you think that we're ready for second-tier football under the A-League? Oh, you're trying to get my tweet, my Twitter feed, Matt. But no, look, um, I, I support absolutely the concept of promotion and relegation. I really do think, I mean, this season would have been a disaster for Perth Glory. They would have gone down. Yep. Yep. I don't know how they get back because you lose all of your interstate players. They're gone. They're going to go and play for other A-League clubs. So there's got to be a process where, where that competition is made strong enough and the game is lifted up in every state so that you don't end up in 10, 15 years with a completely eastern state-dominated uh, national competition because you've just be going back 40 years. Mm. Um, so, so it's got to be done properly. And at the moment, I don't know about, you know, pre-COVID, I think they were all lined up and had sponsors potentially. Gee, it's hard, though. You've got to make the switch to go to a full-time club. So let's say um, Spearwood down Marinac got, or Coburn City got promoted to the top level. Yep. Are, are all of their admins going to go full-time? Are their coaches going to go full-time? Their players? They're going to be away three or four days every fortnight minimum. So once all those things are ironed out, I'd love to see it. But I, I don't think we're ready at the moment. Um, the, the flip side of that coin is how do we strengthen the game nationally without that second league? Yeah, we've got 12 teams in the A-League at the moment going to 14. I mean, there's some of the um, conglomerates or the groups who have been getting together for the last time there was invites in. Uh, where mm. are they? Well, my understanding was the talk for the national second, league, uh, second division was... It would be a national league, so, you know, it nationwide. Uh, but teams, again, it's still not true promotion relegation because teams would need to nominate for it. So if you had a Coburn City winning the league and, and dominating Western Australia, it still was a case that they would need to choose to say, yes. put their hand up and say, yes, we want to go up to a national level. Uh, so, I mean, those are perfectly and valid issues, like you that's similar to what they've saying. got operating, isn't it, in the, in, in the NPL? Because yeah. I think you still get that from the Saturday amateurs. Yes. And- um, those those sort of things, they make the decision to come up. Some do it really well and, and hang around and others, I don't know. But you're talking a lot of money at the national level. That's, I'll yeah. never forget Dave Robwell with a couple of people, I won't name, but they were prominent in local football. And they were, they were yeah, we're going to do a second team. Mm. Give us some advice, Dave. And he said, don't do it or you'll lose your house. <laughs> yeah. And that, he was flat out. Now, now not being funny, Nick Tarner um, had worked Luminar for his money and had a lot of it. Dave Robwell, was a very astute businessman, worked hard for his money, had a lot of it. Tony Sage, he's, he's got a lot of money, astute businessman. They burn money. You might as well pile it in the middle of the pitch and set fire to it. It, it takes an immense amount of money to operate at that level. Mm. And I honestly think sometimes some people don't, they, they say, oh, you know, they write off, they're just making it up. The losses are real. Yeah. You're not going to make money out of a football club in Australia at the moment. You, you've probably got a couple of years recovery from COVID before you even start thinking about it. So a smart operator is going to think about all the different things that football fans will be attracted to when they come to a club. Is it 
Yeah, Subway I, I instead of McDonald's. <laughs> you know, you, well, who, it is, but, it, you know, look, it is, and then people hate the term franchise, but, but in effect it is because you do, know, you do rely on the national marketing and competition. The TV deals are national. It is yeah. literally a franchise operation um, with private ownership thrown in at, at the club level. Um, but, but the absolute crucial thing, and you've touched on it right there, Penny, is what will make people who love football go to the A-League games? Right? Well, they have sold out the Festival of Football, I think, haven't they? Just about all the tickets are gone in, yeah. in about three days. Yeah. Glory, now we won't count the midweek games, but Glory struggled to get 7,000 to a weekend game. Now, what, what should be, her hope will be happening, but it was not happening the last time when Man United and Leeds were here. There should be people at that game with uh, iPads and whatever other modern techniques people use to do surveys that stuff. And we should be asking people why they don't go to the A-League. What would attract them? What's the key for Is it ticket prices? Is it quality of the game? Is it, you know, well, look, it's up against Man United on Saturday on on, on um Sorry, on Octa Sport, so I'm, I, I'm going to stay home and watch that. I can watch it live on TV, although Paramount's trying to help out with that. Yep. Um, and find out exactly what the cause is, what, what the, the attractions could be and what the, the barriers currently are. Lower ticket prices to get in, lower registrations. I mean, you take away a, no, a bit exactly, of all of but, the... but we, we, you know, we can make some assumptions about it, uh, but, but what you need to do is ask people. And my argument has always been you're better off with 10,000 people paying $20 than with 5,000 people paying $39. Yep, absolutely. You know, so so maybe that is the answer. But but where Nick Tarner was immensely strong and talented was marketing. And he, you wanted qualitative and quantitative research. There's a big opportunity to do that. And then then what you've got to do, and this is the hard bit, is listen and act on what people want. Mm. What do That's you re- what you need to do. Bob, what do you reckon the difference between a Perth Glory and a Wellington Phoenix is? Uh, well, I, I think one of the differences is that Wellington made a decision and had to, to stay in one place. Yeah. So they moved across and they were there the whole time. Um, now, I, I've got a much... I, I used to not like the concept of a New Zealand team in the, in the A-League, I'm going to be honest, but they have earned their place now for as long as they want it. The, the sacrifices those players have made away for, you know, nine months, basically, is just immense. And I'm glad they finally got back. But that was the biggest difference. Glory were trying to fulfil fixtures flying backwards and forwards at the start. And, of course, that was fraught with danger. If they were going to do that, they should have moved over and done what, done what Wellington did, stayed over there, made it clear to the players that was what was going to happen. Let those players who couldn't do it go um, with their thanks because, you know, it's not an easy decision to make for, for a lot of people. That that was the biggest difference. Uh, and, of course, Wellington played better football and had a better coach and better players. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true, though. And I'm, I, look, I like Richard Garcia, and I think the club has, has lost a bit of, you know, everyone would say, look, they can't help COVID. They can't help a number of the issues. They can't help being quarantined for months at a time. But they lost a little bit of that argument when they gave um, Garcia and McGarry the boot because you can't claim that's what's caused everything this season after you've said, oh, it's coach's fault, so we're going to replace him. Mm. Now, I don't know what went in, went on inside the club. Um, I know a couple of the people 
around there, and they're very honourable people and good people, but something went on. Uh, you can read it, you can see it in some of the player interviews that have come out subsequently. There was clearly a rift in the club, so that's why the coach went. I think more transparency would help Perth Glory. Uh, you know, as you're saying about who's going to invest and what they're going to do and what direction for the club, why not tell the fans? Just tell them. That, that, you know, this, this um, lack of information creates a vacuum at, at all times. Mm. But, yeah, look, I, I'm not having to go at the coach and staff. I'm certainly having to go at the players. They, they made a terrible blue in the end by signing Daniel Stoke. The history of the club will tell you ageing players struggle in Perth because yeah. there is no recovery. Even in a normal season, I would bet my bottom dollar that Daniel Sturridge would have been injured at some point and out for a number of weeks because yeah. you cannot recover. Yeah, and You can't do it. Yeah, we saw that with uh, Brian Dean and... Um William Gallus Stan, as even well. Stan Lazaridis, who I yeah. love to bits and a fantastic player, when he came back over here, he got one injury and never really fired up again mm-hmm. because you just simply don't have the time to recover from them. Mm. Too much travel. So are there any good things out of this season that we can pull it apart and go, hmm, we can take that into next season? Well, yeah, I, I, I thought some of the young players, I thought it was a bit odd the spray that, Zadkovic gave a couple of weeks ago, but he might say, hey, look, sorry, um, sorry not Zadkovic, but the, the spray they were given, because I thought most of them had done pretty well and, and tried their very, very hardest. Yep. Very difficult making that jump, you know. You look at set, that magnificent win in the week, you look at that Melbourne City lineup. Um, you know, people who've been in Europe, made careers in Europe, you've got some of the better, their captain, Scotty Jamison's one of the best players in the A-League who's not a regular uh, international McLaren, of course, you, you, you know, Andrew Naboo, all of those players. For those kids to win that is immense. Um, and now what they've got to do is build on that. So I think, that, as I say, I reckon there's four or five players in there who will go on and, and become absolute core players for the future of Earth Glory. Um, they've got to be complemented by the right experienced players. Um, and not just youth. We've seen a lot of reports of young players being signed in the East. Fantastic. But they're going to need a sprinkling of experienced, solid um, players, particularly at the back, I would think, to, to see them through games and to help them learn um, and develop. Are you talking about experienced players from within West Australia, like people that we would know and love? Well, I, you, the, the, it's simple. Who, are, they be- are the players that you would sign from elsewhere better than the ones you've got locally? And that was always Mish Davray. When we were working, I was working with the club. Mish's message, and he was under all sorts of pressure to sign different state league players at different times. You get them down for trials, and the simple equation is, are they better? Not equal to, but better than what you already have. And the same will apply here. I hope there's a clear pathway for local players to play in the A-League for Perth Glory. Um, but when you need a re- when you've got a rebuild, what they do not need is one, maybe even two year contracts. They need some players who are going to bet in, create a culture at the club on and off the pitch. There's some simple things they could do to improve the off pitch relationships, uh, and they need players who are committed to that vision of selling the game, not just playing the game. Mm-hmm. Bob, thanks for your time today. Where to from now for you? Well, look, you know. <laughs> The old adage in football, the only way is up. Um, you finish rock bottom of the table, had your worst ever run of losses, 
Um, so it's going to be better next year. Let's get clarity from the club. Let's get people up to the simple stuff. But, you know, post-match interviews in the members, that's easily done. Get the players out to schools. Stop treating clinics as a profit-making exercise. Do it as a community-building exercise um, and, and do all of that sort of thing. I, I don't mind if they don't win, you know, get the finals next year, particularly, as long as they change the culture yeah. and they have a, a clear identity and a clear connection with the community. Fair comment. I think we all agree with that. Well said. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate your time. No worries. Lovely to talk to you guys and, and keep up the great work on, on the World Football Show. Love, love listening to it. Stay out of trouble. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. That was Bob Fig, ABC Match commentator. Not sure where. We'll see him again next season. He pops up in different places. Yeah. Speaking of um, you know, experienced glory players, I, I did mention this before, but I, I feel I, I want to give a shout-out again to Nick Fitzgerald, who the club signed mid-season and... He'd already played for four different A-League sides and you sort of thought, well, he's just cashing a cheque. But uh, every game he's played, he's looked like he's wanted to win. Like he's, he's looked like he was born and bred from Perth and was proud to represent the shirt. He was giving 100% every game, even the ones where you could see everyone else had dropped their heads because we'd you know, already let in three goals and so forth. So he, he sort of was my, one of my favourites for the season once he joined. I wonder what kind of turnaround we'll see. I, I really... Like the idea of creating the identity and the culture, that's the basis for a solid foundation for anything. Yep. And, yeah, that's what we need. We've had a lot of change in glory over the past few years and, yeah, solid foundations are what you start to identify with as fans, the fan base. Yep. Then you get your memberships because you like what you see and other people come along because the atmosphere is okay and they like what they see, they're entertained and so forth. There's a fair bit of building to do. We're going to go to a break and come back and have a chat with Teo Pelizzeri. This is Pan and Pete on the World Football Program. Remember, you can get onto the worldfootballprogram.com.au site and stream it live if you want to listen somewhere else on the road, perhaps, or you can listen to the podcast a little bit later. Thanks for listening in. Stay tuned. Back soon. You're listening to Radio Fremantle 107.9. Gate and Fence Hardware WA, your one-stop shop for all gate and fence hardware components, wrought iron, automation and electronic gate security. We can offer great advice and solutions for your project. Trade and layman, welcome. Hardware shipped all over Australia. Contact the team on 92586822 or shop online at gateandfencehardware.com.au. Station sponsor.
Southwest Fencing and Raw Iron is a fourth generation family business. Ring us about your custom gate and fence projects. We can manufacture, install or automate your gates, offer electronic security or simply just provide sound advice. Let our family look after your family. Oswest Fencing and Raw Iron. Call us on 9258-6822. Station sponsor. Is that okay? I remember that ad, and I swear that it was written based on some of the uh, text posted on the World Game Forum at the time from the SBS uh, internet site. Very funny. Yeah. There was uh, Mark Bresciano. I can't remember who else was in that. But yeah, um, so it was, it was the the 2006 World Cup. It was yeah. indeed. Good morning or good afternoon, Teo. Welcome to the program. Yeah, great to be on. Yes, it's, it's the afternoon here also. So mm-hmm. good morning to you. Yes, thank you. Thanks for joining us. It's been a while since we've had the pleasure to chat to you on the show. Many years, I would think. Uh, yes, but let's not forget uh, how many times I did come on the show back <laughs> in the day. So, uh, you know, uh, plenty, of, plenty of past service for, a, for an old boy of the World Football Programme. Yes, you did very well, and we do appreciate that. I uh, love hearing your voice. It's, it's great that you're involved with Paramount Plus now, and... Uh, sharing the dulcet tones of your voice with Australia and beyond. Well done. Well, it's uh, it's almost the end of the home and away season. I don't know if I'm doing any finals yet, so all I'll say is make the most of MacArthur versus Western Sydney Wanderers on Sunday because uh, that might be my last game until the new season, but I'll have to wait and see. Hmm. Yes, and we are being subjected to a mouth-watering post-finals space of all these international teams coming to Australia. And Pete's giving me a strange look, but... Um, uh, just the use of the word subjected to there. No, just I know, OK. Just, yeah. Yeah, but this... Treated got, to. Treated to, there OK. There you go, right. Manchester United are coming here and Aston Villa and, of course, uh, Leeds, yeah, tickets have already yeah. sold out and... We've got, like, I think Mum FC, which is my club over here, Taylor. We must have got, a, like, a whole block in the Optus Stadium, I reckon, with all the teams <laughs> at one end for the Manchester United game. Very much looking forward to it. Look, th- these matches are, are pretty important, aren't they? I, I think, first and foremost, just for the bottom line of the club, let's not underestimate the effect that this COVID-interrupted season has had. You, know, you can't really hide from the fact that a lot of these midweek games just haven't been fan-friendly and... It really has been more for the integrity of the competition that we've got to get the games played rather than forfeit them or, or cut the season short and, and mm. fast forward straight to finals. So the idea of re-engaging fans and, and bringing people back to the venue, these matches are going to play a vital role in that and hopefully the shine of the high-profile opponents can also have a bit of a knock-on effect for the next A-League season, which, to my understanding, is there's, a, there's swelling optimism around it. And I just hope that the, the effect of these friendlies turns that into some more overt, publicly declared optimism from the leaders of the competition going into the new campaign. We were just having a talk to Bob Fig, who's done a bit of match commentary with the Glory and ABC over this side of the country about 
creating a new identity for Perth Glory. We're pushing up the bottom of the table mm. at the moment and we've got some work to do for the next A-League season and creating a different culture and a different identity is definitely on the cards for Perth Glory, Teo. Look, it, it, it has been a very tough end to the season to Perth Glory. I, I feel as though creating a new identity isn't really going to be possible under Tony Sage's ownership. The club will always be synonymous with him as long as he's the owner, regardless of who the manager is, you know, regardless of whether the team is successful or not. I really think it's more about the execution. You can have the same identity of being Perth Glory, but you can just be better at what you do. And I do think there's been some really good signs with some of the young players that have been given game time. Obviously, the, the tipping point has been reached. It's too many youngsters, not enough players in the prime of their career, and not enough veteran leadership to guide them through. And that's why the results are what they are. But I still think players like Zimmerino and Osler, they've, they've shown signs that if they are the only youngsters playing in a more mature team, they're going to be given a platform to shine. Mm. Really, it's about are Perth going to make the right decisions on which players they persist with into the new season and who they cut loose. And obviously the news this week that they've signed Stefan Kolakowski from Melbourne City and Patrick Wood from Sydney FC. I think those are two very shrewd pickups, and I wouldn't be surprised if they continue to cast an eye over the players that aren't getting opportunities at other clubs. And, and I think Sydney FC and Melbourne City would be the top two teams on that list. Can you see any of the Perth Glory players getting a line-up in the All-Star game against Barcelona? I know Pete's put his player list in. Have you got any Perth Glory players in there, Pete? I think I've put the maximum number of Perth Glory players in there. <laughs> I can't for the life of me remember who I picked now. I'd definitely put Bruno in there. Good. Look, I, I think that um, the competition would be remiss not to have representation from every club. It's kind of, you know... If you're going to have a showpiece game to show off the league, you need to show off the entire league. I haven't picked an All-Stars team because if I can't pick Garang Qual, I'm not picking an All-Stars team. <laughs> it's as simple as that. The, uh, the only way we can stay faced is if Central Coast makes the grand final and Garang Qual is ineligible to play in the All-Stars game because he has a grand final to look forward to that weekend. So that's what I'm hoping for anyway. Yeah, what date's the grand final? Oh, that's is a that, good question. Is that... It's, uh, Go, go on, Teo. Yeah, it, it, it's on the Saturday. Uh, so the All-Stars game versus Barcelona is midweek and then the All-Star, the uh, the grand final is on the resulting Saturday. Okay, gotcha. So it's ooh, pretty close. Well, uh, yeah, going by Wikipedia, 28th or 29th of May. But if it's a Saturday, it'd be the 28th. Hmm. Okay, all right. So we've got some mouth-watering games coming up. What about you, Pete? What are you looking forward to? you got all your streaming happening are you going to get to the Manchester United game I'm indifferent to friendly matches come on I'm not I'm honestly not if you wanted to give me a free ticket I'd go but uh but no no honestly it's a it's a pre-season scratch match like you know I'm I'm not fussed so what do you think about that attitude Teo look they're not for everyone but if you're already a hardcore A-League fan that is going to be in the stands for round one, then you're probably not the demographic that these games are trying to lure in. There you go. What these these matches are trying to do is re-engage people with going to football post-COVID, for starters, which has been a very difficult process. I mean, the AFL is having its own struggles doing exactly the same thing, particularly in Melbourne, where, you know, all of the forecasted crowds are pretty much coming back under. You know, and as someone who has had COVID in the last month... uh, Two members of my family and most of my mates have gone down with COVID in the last two months. It's 
still out there. It's just that, so I, I think that while there's a, a real desire to say clean slate, you know, sporting events are going to go back to normal, you know, I, I think that it, it's understandable that some people may still be apprehensive about large crowds, given that it's probably far more likely that within six degrees of separation, they themselves or they know people who are now catching COVID as opposed to in 2020 or in 2021. Mm. With, with that said, I think it's also important uh, for, from a TV point of view to build the TV audiences again, to get people used to getting onto the Paramount Plus app. You know, I'm not speaking on behalf of the company here, but, you know, I, I understand that an overhaul of the platform is coming to give people what they want with regards to pause and rewind and watch from beginning. So yep. that's a good thing, and hopefully that is all in place by the time that these big marquee friendlies roll around, and it just has people feeling a lot better about the way the game is delivered. So what you're saying is there's a little bit of reservation out there. We know the crowds have been pretty awful, and I know that um, Simon Hill has been a big advocate of how do we get bums on seats at matches. It's not just about people watching games from a streaming platform, of which that puts money into someone's pockets or to football's pockets, but engaging them physically to get down to matches. I mean, that's been really hard across COVID, let alone just getting bums on seats anyway. Yeah, I mean, and let's not let's not lose perspective that the biggest sensation of Australian sport of the last ten years, the Big Bash, has fallen into a massive trough of its own with crowds. Mm. So it's not like football exists in isolation here. Mm. I, I really do think that the idea of the sort of atomic family, you know, ticket, you know, mum, dad, and the kids, you know, spending a hundred to one hundred and fifty up to two hundred dollars for a day out at a sporting event, whether it's Big Bash, whether it's a-League, whether it's the AFL, whatever, I feel as though that demographic has been hollowed out. You know, the people's priorities have changed. Uh, people's uh, cost of living has skyrocketed. And so it means that I'll be chasing a demographic that still exists. And I know this is kind of a venturing into territory that, that some people may not think is great, but I, I really do think the people that fit the demographic of active fans you know, young people in their 20s who want to jump and cheer and shout for the entire game and feel a collective purpose, and that collective purpose is barracking for an A-League team, I, I think we need to lean into that. And I've always, yeah. I've always felt that way, yeah. but that is now the demographic that is probably far more likely to spend whatever disposable income they have on a sporting event. And, and it's also uh, some a point of differential uh, difference between us and the other footballing codes um you don't really sort of have the active support in the same form that you do if you get a good good active support at an a-league match uh compare that to you know an afl or an nrl match i don't i don't think they're the same and i think that's a real point of difference that i don't know the ffa in the past has sort of tried to promote it a bit and then they went the opposite route and started cracking down on you know fan behavior when they were cheering too loudly or not sitting in their allocated seats and they sort of shot themselves in the foot a lot with that um but yeah, yeah I, no, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. And we still hear the stories every single week. I mean, it's even, it's even more frustrating when you hear about security guards on a mission to tell people to sit down at A-League women's matches. <laughs> and you, when you say you're cheering too loud, like the cove with like six people at an A-League women's match getting told off by security. We just need... We, uh, I, I've actually got to the stage where I almost think the A-League as an organisation should start their own security company and hire their own security guards because it seems as though the clubs and the venues, uh, they can just never get on the same page with
with what it takes to embrace the football crowd. And I feel as though when the penny drops and we get this right, uh, active support is a magnet to other fans to come to the game. Yep. There are people who will sit on the wing with their young kids and would never dream of jumping up and down or being in an active end, but they'll go and they'll take their kids because the colour and the spectacle of it all is complementary, if not an enhancement to the entertainment that the game itself actually provides. And it gets to the point where it, it starts to not matter who's on the pitch and, you know, are there marquees or not, because the spectacle of going to a game is something special. And as someone who grew up in Melbourne, that's what Melbourne Victory was for so many of the, you know, the inaugural years of the league. And I'm sure people would feel the same way about the RBB and Western Sydney Wanderers. Mm. And unfortunately, the RBB is a, a pale imitation of what it used to be. And it's not the draw card that can bring in basically other rubberneckers to to enjoy the show. Yep. I like what you said there about active support. In itself, it's its own entertainment. If the demographic is not going to be the family demographic, it's going to be the young, energetic one, then having multiple seats in a stadium and having to sit down is definitely not going to attract that kind of culture. Yeah, look, it's a tough one. I'm sure there are other people who feel as though marquees are the solution to this problem. I've often been of the belief that, you know, not so much promotion into the league, but relegation out of the league is the one thing that will lift the standards for everyone across the board because there will be far greater consequences for not performing, for not entertaining. Yep. But, you know, these are these are slow burns. These are long-term things. In terms of something we can do between now and next season, I do feel as though just a, a complete audit of who the security companies we use are, who the people they use are, the relationships they have with the stadiums, the relationships they have with the police. Fix all of that, get the active support growing, get it noisy, get it colourful, and I do feel as though it'll have a knock-on effect to fill the other three quarters of the stadium. Can you see that happening with all these touring teams coming from international places? you think people will jump up and down and be allowed to jump up and down, Theo? No, I've, one of the strangest footballing experiences my life was Melbourne Victory versus LA Galaxy. Mm-hmm. The, the uh, Doc Lands was full, 50,000 crowd or 48,000 or whatever it was, dead silent, um, and and cheered about twice the entire game when, when Beckham did something for the LA Galaxy uh, because no one was sitting in their regular seats for Melbourne Victory. It was just a bit of a different crowd. It was, it was David Beckham fans more than it was football fans, <laughs> yeah. if you know what I mean. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, so, look, unless there's, you know, I think it's up to the uh, the organisers. If, if they're committed to having bays of support that will be the colour and noise and the soundtrack of the game, it will work. But it's not up to the fans to do that because they can't organically do it. It's up to the people selling the tickets and organising the event to allow it to happen. Mm. So just setting the scene, Optus Stadium... Manchester United, Aston Villa. That's the game that my club is mostly going to and we're mostly sitting in the same area. And I can tell you, I'm going to be wearing a Manchester United shirt and if they do something amazing, I'm going to be up out of my chair and I'm going to be cheering and yelling. And then I'll sit down again, that's fine. (laughs) But I'll be up again. Is that acceptable? You can support however you want. Thank you. But that's act- as far as I'm that's active support, right? I'm getting up and I'm saying I appreciate being there by what you just did on the pitch. For what it's worth, at Optus Stadium, when the Glory hosted the grand final against Sydney, we had the uh, the shed end, uh, and they like as in Optus Stadium had actually organised that very well. Uh, the shed end was heaving, and they sort of knew to 
let things go a bit. The security came down a couple of times just telling us to clear the um, uh, the stairway because everyone, everyone had just packed in and sort of standing and sort of everyone squeezed in a little bit and as soon as they'd gone two minutes later, everyone squeezed out again. But it was all well done and, you know, credit to them for that. They actually did it properly and allowed us to have the uh, the active support happening. Unfortunately, um, it wasn't enough to get us over. Yeah, the I, I mean, I, I know it was only 2019, but that grand final really does feel forever ago. And I can't help but think the A-League would be in a healthier place and a better competition if Perth had won it, yeah. really. Yeah. Uh, how, how different how different it all could have been. Um, Sydney winning another title on penalties doesn't really move the metre, uh, whereas I think it, it could have been such a breakthrough for Perth had they actually won that grand final. Yep. Uh, Taya, what's taken your attention about the teams that are travelling here? Are any of them um, in your eye thinking that they'll be a real add to the community? I mean, I, I would have loved to have seen Barcelona's women travel out here Ooh. along with Barcelona's men. That I, I, It's effectively the Spanish national team um, and the Matildas may well be playing against the Spanish national team before the Euros anyway, but that's by the bike that it won't be here in Australia, but I think that the uh, the games collectively, I would have to say Manchester United going back to the MCG for the first time since 1999 is interesting. You might remember the last time they came out here, it filled the MCG. Sir Alex didn't come out. Steve McLaren was the manager for the game. And then they went to the second match at the Olympic Stadium. And of course, this is before the Olympics, so the stadium brand new, I think, at this point. And that was the game where Simon Colosimo got uh, basically assaulted on the field and uh, and had his career significantly uh, curtailed, which was one of the great tragedies of Australian football because his career could have... He could have been a contemporary of our, our golden generation, if not one of the best players. And I agree. Think about how, yeah, we think about how Ned Zelich, you know, fell out Frank Farina and then never really came back to the national team. Mm. Imagine our midfield if we had Zelic and Colosimo in there as well. Uh, we, it really could have been an incredible uh, golden generation that we had. We've got some pretty, um, I'm going to say that word mouth-watering, okay, some uh, competitions coming up. Outside of that, we've got the Women's and the Men's Champions League fixtures coming up. And I don't know, there's been so much attention to both the men's and the women's side of the World Cups and the Champions League. I'm loving the conversations where we're mixing up is it the men's or the women's that we're talking about? Do you feel that <laughs> same thing, Teo? I mean, I mean, look in a word, no. But as you know, <laughs> ha- having ha- having worked having worked in both sides of the game for more than ten years, it's very easy for me to differentiate between the two. You know, I I know that Ronaldo overtook Ali Dai to be the all-time leading scorer. I don't need to shoot on Christine Sinclair in there because I know that. But other people, you know, other people love arguing about that sort of stuff. So, I don't know. It's, it's just, you know, whatever whatever you feel is a worthy discussion point, really. <laughs> How do you feel that Australia is um, highlighting the fact that we've got the World Cup for the men coming up, the World Cup for the women coming up? Are we doing a good enough job here in Australia of promoting those things? Uh, look, uh, I think it's, it's telling that Qatar's ambassadors for their World Cup are like, the Dan and Beckham, and who were ours? Um, a woman, Bill. I mean, come on, man. Um, I, I, I feel as though I feel as though the, the Women's World Cup. It's kind of like we'll hold the tournament, and then all the benefits will 
to, we're going to put ourselves in a position for, you know, for the tournament itself to be a huge event. We're kind of hoping that it will organically get there. Yeah. But, you know, maybe there are people that are on the organising committee that know better than me. Um, I, I feel as though, you know, most of the focus right now is on the, the Matilda's own performance and how are we going to go in that World Cup as opposed to the tournament more broadly. So maybe the Women's Euros coming up will open our eyes as to, to who's coming and what sort of form they're in and what's out there in the, the rest of the world. But I, I still feel as though we can and are only really looking at it through a Matilda's lens and things like the knock-on for facilities or grassroots or participation. Um, you know, I, I'm sure that there are greater minds than mine who are working on it, but uh, exactly what their plans are haven't been communicated overly broadly, I would say. I, I would assume that maybe they're holding off until after the Men's World Cup just to sort of not um, blur the messages between the two. I mean, obviously, when the Men's World Cup comes around, that in the footballing world dominates everything. And so sort of, you know, in the months before that saying, hey, by the way, we've got the Women's World Cup, I think that message may be lost. And I'm certainly I'm hoping that it's sort of like the minute that the World Cup, the Men's World Cup final is decided in Qatar, the very first thing you see is heavy promotion then. Oh, and by the way, following on from that, in two months' time in Australia, we've got the Women's World Cup. Yeah, when was well, the, when I, was the Men's World I, Cup? I think, I've forgotten. Uh, November. Yeah. Let's, let, let's, let's not forget, um, in a month's time, that could be a moot point for us in Australia. Oh, if we don't beat the UAE, oh, if we don't beat the UAE, then all of our eggs go into the Women's World Cup bus straight away. Yep. Well, but the thing is, even, even if Australia, heaven forbid, doesn't make it, I don't think we will. I reckon we'll get past UAE, but I don't think we'll get past Peru. But even if we don't make it, the World Cup is still massive here, even if we're not there, even if we're not actually there. I mean, you can think back to the O2 World Cup. That was record-breaking in terms of ratings and so forth. Uh, the the France one in 98. Uh, before then, I don't know how it went. But, uh, you know, the World Cup's a massive event, whether or not Australia's there. I guess the difference yes. is that the... Um, the, the non-hardcore football support, shall we say, will only jump on board if Australia's there, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, look, let, let's not forget, not the most favourable World Cup at time slots either. Yeah. So it's, I think comparing it to Japan in 2002 when the games were on in prime time, yep. it kind of yep. does, yeah, doesn't really stack up. Yeah, but yeah we'll, have to, we'll have to wait and see. Um, I, look, I, I agree with you. I do think we'll struggle to make it through. I'm, I'm not certain we'll beat the UAE, never mind Peru, but <laughs> I guess, uh, you know... If we uh, if we pick Jason Cummings, anything is possible. So you never know. Yep, true. Teo, it's been fantastic having a chat with you. As always, you're across absolutely everything. I, I appreciate that. Always adds to the conversation here. And uh, love watching your football journey. And hope we hear lots more of you. Well, if you want to, uh, shameless plug this <laughs> afternoon, three pm on NPL <laughs> on NPL TV. I am commentating Northbridge Bulls versus the Sutherland Sharks in the New South Wales NPL. So you can catch me there, and uh, it's a pleasure to come on. Thank awesome. You. Good on you. Stay safe, Teo. See Thanks, ya. Teo. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That was Teo Palazzeri, who's with Paramount Plus at the moment and across everything and football. And NPL TV, apparently, yeah, as well. There you go, doing his thing and happy to go about it. And it has been a few years since he's come on the show here, but uh, probably, I don't know, Six or seven years, I guess, before he went into commercial football match commentary and then got snaffled. And uh, so, so they get um, they get uh, commentary for NPL matches as well. Certainly, the times I've tuned into the live stream here in Western Australia, it's it's been a camera sitting there and and no actual commentary. So that's a 
a bit of a surprise to see, even at NPL level, in New South Wales at least, they've got commentary happening. I think that... Did he say... He said Victoria, didn't I he? think he said New South Wales. Did he? He did. It was a North versus South team. See, we've already forgotten, but it was North Northbridge versus South he, someone. He's such a Victorian boy. Okay. I'm sure he said New South Wales. Okay. We can listen to it on the podcast later on yeah. and okay. see who was right. All right, yeah, but he's he's always out and doing commentary with, well, Vic, Victoria, his, his platform, that's his space where he travels to and does his thing, but great voice. Need lots of great voices in football here so we can put them on the radio and listen to them, whichever station that might be. Here's a good one. This is Pan and Pete on the World Football Program, Radio Fremantle, 107.9 FM. We'll be back talking to Stace Ioannidis from the CE, from Soccer Scene. He's the CEO of Soccer Scene. We'll be back soon. Stay tuned. Radio Fremantle, 107.9 FM. When I look back on my career, I don't want to be asking myself, what if? The time has come to show them our passion, our grit. Show them the meaning of high-energy football. Show them our great Aussie spirit. That we give it our all and never say die. The AFC Women's Asian Cup is here. Time to show them who we are. West Coast Futsal Association was established to develop and promote the game of futsal. With a vibrant new look and re-imaging, we are now Futsal WA. With a dedication to capture the fast growth of the sport to all levels, Futsal WA is Futsal in Western Australia. Futsal WA provides boundless opportunities to play grassroots and junior leagues, pathways to academies and elite club competitions and representative futsal that can help you follow a dream of professional futsal in Europe or Asia. With four venues across Perth, as an individual or as a group of mates who want to play, there's a junior, men's, women's or mixed competition that will suit you. Contact us to get involved in futsal and action-packed sport and the fastest growing sport in Australia. Contact us at Futsal WA on 0432 745 140 via email at info at or via our website www.futsalwa.org.au. Sorry, love. 
Sorry, could have risked that. I haven't heard that for so long. That was the Monty Python team, and the last thing that got smashed was the family heirloom clock because <laughs> they, yeah, lost. But in that same film, I think they got a team of old fellas that had been playing for the team decades ago and they came back and they actually started to win games. So you go watch the Monty Python series if you haven't seen it. That was just my little bit of mirth for the morning. Good morning, Stace. How are you going? Good, thank you. Good morning. Good morning to your listeners. Thank you for joining us. We've got the CEO from Soccer Scene, Stace Ioannidis, on the line just to talk about some things that we haven't had a chat to everyone else about already. Um, there's a lot of things <clears throat> happening in football. What's across the soccer scene platform at the moment, Stace? Well, look, <coughs> sorry, uh, there's a various a lot of things at the moment. We're talking about, you know, what the second division is going to look like in terms of financial modelling. So I am quite aware that, that those different types of scenarios and business cases are now being presented. So it's moved from um, a you know, bit more of a, a wish list now to what it's going to look like and through Tate. Um, I'm, you know, they'll know that there's uh, a model that's been presented from the AAFC to Football Australia. I know that Football Australia are internally working on their on their modelling. Um, another thing is the, um, you know, the domestic transfer system. Mm. Um, so I know that the PFA is involved with Football Australia as well um, to see how that's going to fruitate and what benefits, um, you know, between clubs and transfers and. Um, developing players and moving forward. So that's the other thing. Uh, and I think now it's more so post-COVID, uh, you know, how clubs are, you know, are still feeling that tight pinch and making up for those losses. So there are some variable factors. I think uh, another one that doesn't get mentioned enough or has not been mentioned at all is um, the cost of inflation. Yes. And um, I... I I'm sincerely, I, I haven't heard anybody from the governing bodies to even talk about the cost of inflation in our uh, industry. Let's unpack that a little bit. Are you saying that uh, you know cost of we know cost of resources and getting things as uh, freight line supply chains are all you know being held up and intermittent and random and so forth? That's going to affect affect the football environment exactly how? Well. There is a lot of disruption within the, the cost freight, so bring it in. So, look, all of our manufacturing is offshore. Let's not kid ourselves. So all our kits, all our balls are coming from Southeast Asia and from China. So the cost of a, a freight container from $2,500 going up to $9,000 to bring it in. So ultimately, you know, you've got cost of diesel, you know, freight from the vessel to bring it in. You've got the cost of diesel internally to move the product. Um, and, of course, I mean, rents are going up. So we're talking about the cost of inflation. Who is going to endeavour the cost? Will it be the clubs are going to mm. buy it or um, are they simply going to pass it on to the end user? So, um, so let's, let's to... just have a little chat about that, right? So we've already started the season. So all the community mm-hmm. sports and all, all the clubs out there have already charged all their fees. They've probably pre-ordered things 12 months in advance, I reckon, mm-hmm. if most clubs are organised like that because it takes me three or four months to action mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. But you're saying that most of the stuff is coming from Asia and I think that would be pretty spot on. There will be many clubs that order from other places around the world and I couldn't even think of any where you could get kits manufactured, funnily enough. Um, but 
those costs are got to got to be landed somewhere. So maybe next season, you think there'll be a big impact? Correct. Look, look, correct. And we didn't know until you know late November what was happening here in Victoria. But look, it's different from state to state and territory. But I'm you know going moving forward, we're going to feel those impacts next year. Mm. Um, when kids are signing up for registrations and so forth. You know, even the cost of merchandise will go up. Now, the question is, what are our governing bodies going to do about it? And that's the... the what is their policy mm. about this? How to make the cost uh, a little bit more affordable for families out there who are sending their kids to participate in this discipline? That's the key policy that we have not seen in industry, and I think emerging, you know, emerging all uh, government bodies, you know, from our football federations, member feds, and uh, national member fed, to get together with industry stakeholders and have that conversation, because it's going to be a big crunch time next year. Are services going to be pulled away for kids' development, or the families are going to cost this? You know, they're going to, you know, wear the brunt of it. So, Very I mean, we saw recently with. We've seen recently now with the federal government, I know we're going into election, but they've you know taken effectively 25 cents off their fuel excise for the next six months. Mm-hmm. We've yet to see a policy come out from our governing bodies how it's going to you know um, help our industry, really, um, so it doesn't go into decline. So these are the things that you know are worrying at the moment. It's not going to be felt now because there's obviously a surplus of stock um, that's been promised and it's been delivered. But it's going to be from here today and onwards. It's going to be the problem, um, and we don't want to see we don't want to see a position where clubs are taking kids' programs away because they can't fully fund it because the costs have gone up. Yeah, or mm. that the families just simply can't afford a registration, so they need to make a decision to not play sport. Correct. Mm. Correct. But and we're not talking about kids. We're even talking about balls. We're talking about cones. We're talking about dolls. We're talking yep. about gold net, flags, corner flags, the whole lock, stock and barrel of our industry. So I urge, um, you know, all levels of government in our football industry to have a a good, robust conversation with industry stakeholders um, and actually come up with a solution, what it's going to be and what policy will um, effectively, you know, help the industry, um, you know, uh, find balance. And that's all it's about. We've got to give and take somewhere. Uh, and that conversation has to start happening. Stace, do you think that there are solutions out there? I mean, if I'm thinking about my club, we order a whole lot of stock, somewhere between like thirty and seventy thousand dollars every couple of years, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, they would think well in advance of when they're going to um, order that, when they're going to pay for it, when it's going to arrive, so it's ready for the season. So some of those clubs that uh, pre-planning like that would already know about some of those costs surely their costs are already been put into their budgets and they're already considering those things so the clubs would already have an an extra cost across their table and be modeling how they're going to deal with that do you see that kind of planning already happening correct correct and not only that it's more so the disruption right so is there going to be stock available because we're seeing Mm. here i mean let's look at the car manufacturing uh, industry at the moment, they just can't. There's can't, too can't much deliver, uh, demand, yeah. but they can't deliver. Yeah. They just simply cannot deliver. There is a wait from Toyota in Japan for eight months for a Toyota RAV4. Yeah. For <laughs> eight months. I mean, so 
well, we've got to be realistic in what we want. Yes, the cost will go up. I mean, the diesel's gone up. The freight's gone up. We, you know, we, we can do modelling at the worst-case scenario and land it there. But the ultimate question is who is going to wear the brunt of that cost? Or what about if we flip this? What about some other solutions? Is it possible to have those things manufactured in other places or to source them from other places in Australia or other countries? Well, look, I think Australia will be a better option. The issue is finding tradespeople to get it done, mm. uh, you know, in, say, clothing manufacturing. A lot of our clothing manufacturing is going short. But now we, we're stuck in a uh, bit of a rabbit hole to try and uh, come out of it. Um, and we're going to see the next two years of this slow inflation, this pain of inflation hitting our sport. Now, I know that, other, I know that clubs are running various programs. But it'd be very sad to see like the strength and conditioning program scale down to make up the shortfall for the inflation, the cost of inflation. The other thing too, <coughs> Stace, you could consider is that the international um, environment of, of trade at the moment, um, trade sanctions uh, by governments with some countries, mm-hmm. how that might change and expand and how and where we're going to be able to source things from over the next 12 to 24 months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, I, I agree with you. And I think, you know, that has to be done at a, a national uh, conversation with Football Australia and obviously with the Commonwealth, seeing what they can source, you know, from our neighbouring countries as well. Um, obviously, you know, you've got Fiji that does uh, clothing manufacturing as well, but also meaning that, you know, it, are factories like Nike and Adidas in Fiji and those other developing nations around us. So, look, there might be a point of agility to, to look at, you know, different options and explore those different options. Um, it's, it's obviously short-term pain um, at the moment, um, but the other option could be, you know, uh, could be, just, you know, discounting the participation fee from our member federations. I know that the NPL licence fee is about $60,000 here in Victoria. Why not offer a discount for the next two years? Just to say, okay, here, here you go. Here's to say, well, I'm going to fix the problem to keep the industry going. The consequences of, of that in soccer is one of those sports that we have so many mm. national teams and we're talking about the, the para-tilders, the young Matildas, the soccer mm-hmm. is young. So they they yeah. identify teams and then they travel. Yeah. So there haven't been Correct. a whole lot of that in the last couple of years because of COVID management. No. But... Um, I guess if they don't travel as much in the next couple of years and they start capping and discounting fees back to member federations, they might be able to manage that. But if they want to scale that up again because they want to you know, move up in the FIFA rankings rather than move down, which has been a bit of a trend, mm-hmm. um, then, you know, how do we ma- manage that? I mean, do, do they cap programs at that level, Stace? Well, look, I mean, I'm looking at a, at a micro level at the moment. So, you know, I'm talking about the NPL. So $60,000, so $45,000. I mean, in that, and that's the role of government, okay? So it doesn't matter if it's a federal government, state government, or our football governing bodies. That's the level of, you know, that's what they lie in the sand. And that's their responsibility to ensure there is growth, continuous growth within our ecosystem. So if it means that they have to discount it to ensure that growth is still sustainable in the next two years, then that has to they have to wear the brunt. The clubs can't keep wearing the brunt or the parents. 
Then mm. you've got also got to look up. at, if you're talking about NPL level, we're talking about semi-professional, professional mm-hmm. football where wages are paid. So if the cost of living generally goes up for the families and the players, then they might demand more wages because the cost of fuel, get to games, whatever else, all those like, you know things that go into a player being able to play football for that team and get paid a wage are also going to go up. The the knock-on effects Correct. of... Yeah, okay, so... Oh, definitely. I mean, let's mm. look at even the, the cost of transporting the food. You, you know, your hot chips and your mm. dim sims. You know, and all <laughs> that's going to have a spiral effect. So chips I, and I gravy. think a, a, national, <laughs> a national conversation has to happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Food for thought, that's for sure. Mm. Definitely. Okay. And... Um, you talked about the domestic transfer system. That's still in conversation stage, isn't it? Because um, there's not been any, you know, set rules about that. I don't know when that's due to be implemented, or is it already in place? Look, it's set. Look, there's a conversation at the moment. Um, you know, I know that the PFA is involved <coughs> um, at the conversation level. I don't know how much it's fruited yet. We've just recently published an article as late as yesterday on our website. Um, you know. Uh, talking about, uh, from the PSA, talking about the level of discussion they're having at the moment. So it's still, again, negotiation. Um, obviously, the bar will be high raised until we come right down. And then there's, you know, there's obviously both parties are happy um, and there's a happy medium. Um, I just think just uh, watch your space at the moment. Because, look, at the end of the day, it is rewarding for clubs uh, to be... And that, that is the business. Um, of football uh, to be developing players and selling them off Um, and putting that you know getting paid for the investment you put down yeah absolutely Mm. no so look you know let's just watch uh, there's a lot of uh, factors at play I mean you know you've got the the APL as well well obviously in that conversation you know you've got you know your national Premier League clubs and your community clubs so there's a multitude of factors we have to consider, um, but look, it's just going to take time. It's just one of those things that have to be wheel and deal, I guess, uh, th- until everyone's happy. Do you think that the second tier of football, no, the AAFC has had this on the table for five years now, I think, yep. and COVID's been around this the third year of COVID, so maybe that's kind of a lower priority in the scheme of things, and when you're in some the other conversation stays talking about inflation, the impact on affordability of football. Uh, we absolutely want people to be playing football, uh, A, because it puts money into the system, and B, because it keeps people healthy and that Correct. keeps the cost down of the system. Mm. So that's got to be an absolute priority for the government and the uh, member federations uh, over maybe second-tier football and expansion of the A-League. Well, these all can be well, done uh, and thought about I, I along think, the way anyway. Look... I think both uh, as equal as equal. I I can't see one should be taking priority of another. I think uh, think the the national second tier has to happen. It's been mandated from FIFA, from my understanding. Yes, absolutely. It's at the point point what it's going to look like. So we've moved from the the theory of, yeah, it's going to happen. We've moved now, what's it going to look like at the end? Uh, you know, we know that there's various models being, you know, uh, touted out there, uh, the Champions League style. Um, I know the Double AFC <coughs> are after a singular division. Um, and when does promotion relegation? Look, we've got to keep involved in the game. We can't allow it to be stalemate. Mm. Okay, if we evolve the game, it creates an interest, and that's where 
we're stuck at the moment. What's yeah. it going to look like when it's done? The inflation might be you know, an 18-month, two-year period of pain, short-term pain. So it's not a, hmm. it's not a long-term problem, right? It, it's going to be a short-term problem until every supply chains are restored, costs come down. Yeah. Okay, so it's only a short-term period of pain there. But I do believe that both are equally, uh, you know... Um, important. Important. Yeah. And I think the inflation needs to be looked at quite, you know, immediately. Yeah, okay. It's. Uh, I think even if we don't talk about it, people are going to be impacted by it anyway because the clubs will, you know, do their usual planning and then these things will land and then they'll be going, okay, what do we do? And then outwards from there, people will start figuring out what to do. Now, um, Stace, before I let you go... Funding promises by the government. Uh, there's been lots of promises in you know coming up to election time where politicians are promising this and that, and whatever. And then over here in Western Australia, man, there's been a frenzy of promises to clubs and for uh, shires, areas, towns to uh, have facilities built, lights upgraded, and so forth. Um, how about you know around Australia generally for football? Are there great big facilities where the promises are actually meaning shovels are in the dirt and things are happening? Look, there are several, along the east states, there are several promises from the both parties, political parties at the moment. Um, you know, even the, uh, the home, states. Home of Matildas? How's that coming along? Correct. We've got the home of Matildas happening. Um, but look, I think. Uh, We've got it on our website as well. We're keeping a tally of which political party is doing the pledging. We're seeing <laughs> a grant of 2 to $3 million. I don't believe it's enough, um, especially being part of a globalisational uh, ecosystem. I think we do need to do far more um, and, and putting more down as an investment. We're seeing it in Queensland. They're not getting the money. Um, and that was, you know, uh, Football Queensland coming out and speaking you know, against the government. So, you know, I um, condemn uh, Rob Cavallucci and his team out there for actually calling for what it is. Um, you're looking at, you know, other sports are getting, you know, 10 times the amount in playing than what football is. So, again, it, for me, I don't understand where, why this is happening. It shouldn't be happening. Um, we're part of a globalisational network that opens up doors and channels. Um, you're just going to have to make it happen somehow. But again, I think the discussion has to be around um, private money as well that we're seeing being used in the US. So a lot of the uh, sports in the US and stadiums are funded by private uh, equity um, and the same thing in Japan as well. So I think we need to become a little bit more savvy in how we, um, you know, going with, uh, with money out there. Um, you know, we shouldn't be reliant on just government. We should be reliant on the... Uh, private enterprise as well coming in, uh, as we're seeing what, you know, uh, Western United are doing with their ground and their facilities. I still think there is room for the private enterprise to, to walk in or private money to come in. Uh, we need to do that. Um, we've already seen it with uh, Vitacom and CBS doing it with uh, the A-League. Uh, you know, they invested uh, X amount of dollars in that, you know, in the A-League as well. And we need to do it in our game. So, if we want to be competitive and turbocharge it, we need to tap into the, the private equity. Um, it's just, you know, if we're going to sit and wait for governments to twiddle their thumbs and, and get it done, it's just not going to happen. Um, and our problem is our problem is the now. It's not the tomorrow, playing the seed and waiting for it tomorrow. It's, the problem is now we're turning kids away 
because we don't have facilities and resources. Mm. And we don't want to be in that position. So we need to somehow, again, collaborate with the private enterprises within our game um, and bring, the, you know, obviously government involved, our member feds, our national federation, all together having this chamber of commerce and working at these solutions simultaneously and, you know, and, you know, trying to alleviate the problem now. That's the key here. Um, and again, I, I haven't seen any of those discussions take place Stace, at this present time. Stace, mm. I really appreciate all those, uh, that, a lot of information there. Um, appreciate you identifying all of those things. I'm sure you've given our listeners lots to think about. So thank Definitely. you. Thank you so much for giving us your time today. I really do appreciate it. You've joined us as a CEO from Soccer Scene, so if people want to um, log into the Soccer Scene website, please do so and learn more about what Stace has been talking about on the show today. Stace, thank you uh, very much. Just to, just, just to touch up on one thing, we also launched our new product, Football Pro Directory, which is the first do- uh, football directory for auxiliary providers and clubs. I do urge everybody to check it out when you've got time. It's footballprodirectory.com.au. It is the first in this country, um, and it's had a really good reception out there. So um, when you do get a chance, please have a look at it. So what, what was that uh, address again? Footballprodirectory.com.au. Okay, thanks. Good one. Thanks very much, Stace. Thank you. Appreciate your time Thank today. You. See you ya. Too. Thank you. Have a good afternoon. Bye. Bye-bye. See ya. That was Stace Ionidis, who's the CEO of Soccer Scene, a website. It's actually a corporate website. Uh, they look at the environment of football and uh, identify different challenges and, and so forth. Yep. Great stuff. And now, before we go, we want to... Oh, we're going to run through a couple of results, weren't Let's we? Let's do it. That's, there's actually games going on as well. as all this stuff we've talked about yep. behind the scene. So in the men's NPL uh, last weekend... Perth Glory and Perth played out a nil-all draw. Armadale hosted Perth Red Star. Perth Red Star winning that one 4-0. Uh, sorry, 4-1. Uh, Florida Athena back to winning ways on top of the table. Uh, 4-2 win over Guelup Croatia. Balcata Etna hosted Sorrento. Sorrento winning that one 5-2. Uh, Inglewood United at home against Bayswater City with Bayswater City having the 2-1 win. Uh, Sterling Macedonia and Coburn City had been postponed for COVID reasons. And according to the Football w, uh, Football 24 app, uh, last night Perth Glory Youth defeated Balcata Etna uh, 1-0. So Balcata are still fortunately still at the bottom of the table looking for some points. And in the women's NPL last week, Murdoch University FC, they lost 3-1 to Fremantle FC. Penny's just not reacting at all to that. 1-0. I've got 3-1 to Fremantle. According to the, you know, Football West what, website. But, what you know. round are you at? I'm at round five on the 29th of April. Hmm. Uh, Perth Red Star and Perth SC was postponed. Um, Balcata Etna 4-1 over Curtin University and Subiaco 2-0 over Hyundai NTC Women. So there's the results for the men's and the women's in the NPL. Penny reckons there's either a mistake on the website or she wasn't paying attention in the game because she reckons it was a one-all draw. <laughs> <clears throat> I do know you're a teetotaler, so I can't even accuse you of just having had a few too many and not actually noticing, you know, when Fremantle banged a couple in at the end of the game or something like that. Or Yeah, I try yeah. and uh, catch all of the results and on the NPL.TV and not miss any, but clearly I have... But I was going to say, we call them Mum FC when they win, but we use the full name when they lose. It's like a child when they're in trouble. 
you use the full name when they're in, you know, when yeah. they've done something wrong. Sorry, three one. Yeah. Uh, I think I might have been looking at the men's result, the state league. <laughs> Maybe you were. So in the in the women's NPL, Perth Red Star top of the table, uh, four wins out of four games. Uh, Fremantle second on ten points, and Perth SC third. Uh, and Murdoch University sitting in the centre on fourth spot. So there you go, Penny. You've, you know, you're middle of the table there. Yeah, yeah, middle of the table. Got some work to do. Yeah. But then again, the season's just kind of a bit crazy with postponed fixtures and yeah. I, I don't know how that's going to work. But I know, do know it. Uh, the clubs have got night lights. Yes. For match lights, there'll yep. be ability to catch up on games. I know Winthrop has got some lights down. I think they're upgraded to game game grade now. I'm not sure. Just in this week. We're at training and now we've got three pitches under lights. What, what's the lumens rating on those lights? Penny? I don't know. Oh, Ask me technical questions. <laughs> I don't know. I would, you could have literally said space. anything I wouldn't have known. Just <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, 180, easy. But, so um, much football going around in my head. Results all over the place. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, don't forget to check out on uh, Football West uh, website before you go to fixtures to make sure they're actually on over the weekend. Yep. There has been changes. There's multiple changes. There is lots of football happening, so just uh, check in. Put your app on your phone. Check in. And get your kids to take responsibility to do it for themselves too. Yep. And we're just putting up the uh, link to uh, Stace's couple of websites on the Facebook group too. Good lad. Next in is Lynn and Bag's Groove with his jazz program. Pete, it's been super awesome talking football for the last two hours with you and everyone else, listeners. Thank you for listening in. No worries. You can go to theworldfootballprogram.com.au to catch up on anything you might have missed during this show or just to, like, replay any of the mistakes that I've said during the show. There was a couple, (laughs) but we we skipped past those. All good. Go and enjoy the football today, everyone. Thank you for listening in. 